You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. We are glad that you are back with us today for Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. It's been a few weeks since our last episode, but Keith Harris is back with me today as we are beginning to come to the end of our study of First Timothy. Keith, glad that you're with us again today. Thank you, Jacob, and I'm glad to be back. Uh, I know both you and I have had a lot of things going on lately, um, but... <clears throat> Nice to be back together. Looking forward to the conversation. I am as well. We are uh, going to talk a little bit today about elders, which is ironic that elders in this chapter follows widows. Um, but Paul has some advice to Timothy, a young preacher, about how elders are to be viewed in the eyes of the church and specifically how the church should treat them in good times and bad. And we'll spend a little bit of time also talking about Oh, the laying on of hands, which I know Keith is just eager to address that topic. <laughs> One of your favorite topics, isn't it, Keith? You know it. Yeah. Keep your hands to yourself, Keith. You love to <laughs> lay on hands. But here we go. First Timothy uh, chapter 5. I'll just read uh, beginning in verse 16, a few verses. We'll talk about those, and we'll move to the rest of it. Paul says the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those whose sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Okay, Keith, uh, Paul says here that elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of quote-unquote double honor. Now, what in the world is double honor and why are they worthy of such recognition? So double honor uh, seems to be, especially when you, verse 18 as well, it seems to be financial support. And, and I would say this, again, is likely referencing those who serve and work uh, in the church on a regular basis and how they ought to receive uh, some kind of financial support. Um, I think there's... You know, first, the honor that's due them out of respect 
for the office that they hold uh, and out of the example that they set. But second, uh, and the double aspect, I would say, is with respect to the financial support that they might receive or some some kind of support monetarily or uh, materially that they may have received. Now, one of the interesting things to me, as I said, uh, with reference to verse 18 uh, in connection to double honor is that um, the financial compensation may or may not be money per se. Um, some people believe that uh, this means double honor means like a double stipend that they were already receiving uh, financial support, but some ought to receive double financial support. <clears throat> I'm not sure that that's the case, uh, at least um, in my understanding. And the reason that I would say that is just for the simple fact that in Paul's day, church uh, had not yet progressed into what we experience today where congregations have full-time ministry staff. Um, it was very much um, a part of Paul's day where um, uh, some were supported by the church. So take Paul, for instance, he was supported by uh, the churches, but at the same time, um, he was uh, working as a tent maker. And so supporting himself to a degree, but then being supported as well by the congregations. And so uh, I don't think that this is referencing a double stipend, like a, like a, you know, a, a doubling of the financial support. I think this is just a, re a recognition that we honor them um, already because of the office they hold. We respect their authority. We <clears throat> uh, submit to them as those who are leaders within the church, but then the double part, I would say, is that support, helping them along the way. Yeah, yeah I don't hear anything in that I would disagree with. It's also evidence to me that um, there is biblical authorization, maybe a strong word, but at least example or precedent of men who serve as both elders and ministers for the same congregation. It may not be the wisest decision, depending on the church and its context, but there is a biblical precedent here that if a man's doing both, if he is serving as an overseer and he is busy doing some teaching and preaching, that it would be reasonable for this church to offer him financial support for his time and energy and efforts, because just like with anything else in life, every time you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else. Time's limited, so... If he owns a business but spends a lot of time working for the church, he's theoretically giving up some uh, earnings from his business by doing that. Right. I am interested, though, why they don't say this for, for deacons <laughs> 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 or, you know, any other church member. Why is it that only the elder is worthy of double honor? You know, that's a very interesting question and, and one that I think— there may be a bit of an answer to uh, in the text itself. Um, he says that, you know, consider, let them be considered worthy of double honor. And then he says, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Now, the preaching and teaching aspect of ministry is very much different than what we think of as the ministry of deacons. Uh, and I say that going back to Acts, 
uh, and the first example that we have of men being selected to serve as what has in a, in a, a role of what we would refer, refer to as deacons. Um, and they were selected for the express purpose of fulfilling those ministries, you know, worked well and smoothly and no one was overlooked. But the apostles and their instruction in that text, you'll recall, made sure to say that we don't, essentially we don't have the time, we can't stop doing what we're doing to wait on tables uh, to distribute food. We need to be about the word, hmm. proclaiming the word. And so I think there's a distinct difference between the role of deacon and the role of elder. And Paul is maybe pointing to that here in verse 17 when he identifies especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Mm-hmm. It's a great explanation, um, and there is a clear difference in the text in the responsibility of elder, deacon, and even minister. Um, without a doubt, the, the New Testament highly appreciates and respects that of the office of the elder or the bishop or the shepherd. And you see this again when Paul says in verse 19, uh, don't entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Now, I put in the questions here for us to talk about today, kind of similar question. Why is it that elders are afforded the luxury of having uh, two or three people accuse them of something rather than just one individual? Because I, you've been in ministry a long time, Keith, as have I, and usually... Uh, <laughs> It doesn't take two or three witnesses to bring an accusation against a preacher for it to stick. In fact, you know, we always hear many people think this, and I had a wise mentor tell me one time, many people usually just means one or two. <laughs> they don't have the courage to say, this is what I think, but many yeah, people are right. saying this. But even even them, when they speculate, many people think this, and they're only talking about one or two people. There's nothing in the Scripture that says uh, if an accusation is brought against a minister, you better have two or three, but it does that for elders. So why is uh, it that way? It, it may be, um, much of this may be the difference, um, at least in our experience, the difference in what um, we see within congregations today, as I said earlier, with a full-time ministry staff. And I know that 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 some churches and, and many elders uh, do work diligently and tirelessly for the church. Now, um, I think maybe the difference is just simply the fact that uh, you have uh, individuals who are um, given a, a, a God-given role of leading the congregation. And I think in Paul's day and Timothy's day, um, the elders were likely more, I hesitate to say this, but I, I do think it's probably the case. They were likely more prominent than the minister themselves. And, and again, we're talking about a time prior to our experience today. We're talking about a time where they didn't have uh, full-time staff. Uh, some congregations didn't have a minister. And, and uh, I think, you know, the elders 
uh, in the congregations in the first century were largely the ones who were engaging the preaching and teaching and the, the spreading um, uh, of the, the message. So maybe in the sense of them being um, held in such high regard, and not only that, but the visibility that they had within the congregations um, would lend itself to the need to make sure if there was an accusation that was presented against an elder, it wasn't one person that had some personal vendetta against this particular individual. Uh, and I think, the, you know, verse 19 here, it plays into the rest of what Paul is saying to Timothy, but, um, you know, we have to remember that elders are those that are in authority. And I love um, what uh, Burton Kaufman had to say on this. He said uh, that this is referencing a church leader, quote, who is indeed guilty of sinful conduct and in order to keep trivial, untruthful, and irresponsible charges from being made. The apostle instructed that two or three witnesses were to be ready to testify against an elder before any charge would even be considered. And so I think essentially uh, this was to limit the conflict among brothers and sisters in Christ. Some have suggested, and I don't believe there's any validity to this, but some have suggested that Paul is saying um, that there needs to be two or three people who are present to witness the accusation being presented. I don't think that's what he's meaning here. I think he's meaning that this uh, behavior needs to be something that is not coming, uh, accusation rather, it needs to be something that's not coming from just one individual. But this is a reputation issue uh, for this particular elder. Keith, do you think it's fair to assume, based on the context, that this accusation probably centers around embezzlement or some type of financial um, shady dealings with the church, more of more along the lines of money than character? Well, I think the context lends itself to that. You know, mm. considering the fact he's talking about double honor and and those that are working and laboring, deserving of their wages, some are going to abuse that. And, and I think you're right. It, it may be more so some kind of embezzlement issue that's being presented here and just simply saying, if you have an accusation, make sure you're not the only one that sees this. Yeah. An accusation is different than a criticism, though an accusation is always done in a critical spirit. Uh, criticism of an elder would be they never visit me in the hospital. An accusation of an elder would be they're holding table or holding money under the table <laughs> and, right. you know, they're, they're pulling out of the, the contribution. Uh, those are two different conversations. And it seems like Paul has in mind the latter more than, than the former of this is not yep. attacking their ability to be a shepherd or lack of it's attacking them for doing something morally and ethically wrong. Yeah, and I think that's where Kaufman was in that in that quote that I shared, <clears throat> just that this is referencing someone who is indeed guilty of sinful activity or conduct. Mm -hmm. Not about criticizing an elder. It's about 
<clears throat> having something concrete that you can point to and say, I'm not the only one that can see this. Right. So Paul tells Timothy, all right, you've got to keep these instructions without showing favoritism. Verse 21, why do you think he reminds Timothy to do this without showing favoritism? Well, you know, partiality or favoritism can be extremely destructive to one's ministry. And particularly here in, in, in this context, he's obviously talking about the accusations that are, that are being presented and, and really the things that he is calling Timothy to teach or instruct. Um, these are not, um, these are not teachings that are, uh, or standards rather that are, uh, you know, for one group of people and maybe not for another group of people. You know, mm -hmm. you've seen um, ministers, you've seen elders for that matter, who um, will hold one standard on one group of people that maybe they're not close to, but their friends or those that they're very close to, uh, that standard, well, we can bend that a little bit, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and so <clears throat> I think Paul sees that and understands that reality of if, if you are going to show favoritism to those that you are closest to, if you are going to um, show deference toward them with respect to the standard that God has set, um, that's going to be self-destructive in your ministry, and you're not going to be effective. And not only that, but, but two, it's going to harm the health of the body. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and it's a lot easier to uh, entertain accusations of a church member that may not hold as much power or influence or authority as that of an elder. You know, if, if uh, a deacon was accused of embezzlement, mm. that's, a, that's a touchy situation and a tricky issue, but it's not as intimidating as um, calling out maybe an elder who's been accused of the very same thing. And so I think Paul's reminding Timothy, even though... <laughs> <clears throat> even though they very well may be your employer, um, mm -hmm. don't overlook questionable acts just because they are your boss. Uh, treat them the same way you would treat anyone in the church who was doing something that um, was not good or that you had suspect of. That's right. Well said. Okay, your favorite verse in the New Testament. Um, <laughs> don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. So... <laughs> Uh, what, what is this, what is this about? I'll read it for our listeners if they don't have it in front of them. Do yeah. not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Uh, keep yourself pure. Those are three random thoughts to put together, but, uh, let's just start with the laying on of hands. What, what does he mean there, Keith? More times than not, when we read in Scripture, laying on of hands, our thoughts go toward the apostles laying on hands, imparting the miraculous manifestation or miraculous gifts of the Spirit. That's generally where uh, the first place that a lot of folks' minds will go when you hear that phrase. The other part is, uh, you know, laying on hands and praying for someone. Mm -hmm. That's not exactly what Paul's talking about here, mm -hmm. though the phrase is the same. Uh, I, am, I am of the opinion, and I'll just say it's my opinion, uh, 
that what Paul is doing here is he's connecting this all the way back to the beginning of this discussion in verse 17 and this whole larger context of elders and dealing with elders. And so when he says, don't be uh, laying on hands in a hasty way, he's saying, make sure that you are not, uh, you know, jumping quickly to uh, putting a, a man in this leadership role. Um, don't be hasty in that. You know, make sure you take your time. Now, um, some churches, as they uh, add church leaders, elders, deacons, whatever it may be, um, I've seen some that take a long time to go through the process of uh, praying for uh, the situation or, you know, the process of praying for the individuals and that sort of thing um, and, and, and take a long time to work through that process. I've seen other congregations who uh, hurry through the process and, um, and, and do so because <clears throat> they, they don't want to be perceived as sluggish or slow going. I think Paul's addressing here to Timothy uh, and to us that we don't need to be quick just to put someone in a leadership position if we don't really know the person. Yeah, uh, and I think that's what we see in the rest of of that verse, uh, and and to the rest of this section where he talks about their actions. Right. Uh, yeah, it, I, I, I I totally agree with what you're saying. Keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was, and say, I think if we if we are not thoughtful and appropriate uh, as we select those who will serve within our congregations, then um, we set ourselves up for potential issues down the road. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that uh, that Paul is just saying to Timothy, he's saying, make sure that you're not rushing through this process. Make sure um, that that uh, the actions of the individual, the heart of the individual, uh, is what it ought to be before you push them into this leadership role. That's very well said. I think here's an instance where you can figure out what something means by the process of elimination. So <laughs> uh, let me begin by saying I think you're spot on by saying this is in relation to ordaining elders or installing elders in churches. Don't be hasty in that, but let's just run the other two options. If this is a miraculous deal, well, the reason uh, miraculous gifts were passed through the laying on of hands was because the one who was passing the gift was already uh, possessive of the gift. They, they had the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. Timothy did not. So Timothy uh, had nothing to pass, if that's what this is referring to. So that wouldn't work. So cross that one off the list. Uh, if this is in reference to prayer, why in the world would Paul tell Timothy, don't pray with people quickly? Um, that's that's a surefire way to lose your ministry position in Ephesus. Like, will you pray for me? How about next Tuesday? Um, <laughs> that's not that's not a good option either. Let's so, think about yeah, yeah, I can only, I've met my quota for the week, and I did that three days ago, so get in line. Um, that that can't be it. So it has to be speaking of some other act, and one writer says this is the same thing that's referenced in uh, 1 Timothy 4.14, 4, 
um, when the elders laid their hands on Timothy um, just as a symbolic way that he was their man, that he was going to be the one using his gift of preaching. This was not a miraculous gift. Uh, and the elders laying their hands on him didn't have miraculous gifts either. So this is just kind of a an image of solidarity. We're behind you. We support you. And Paul's telling Timothy, don't just do that for any man. In today's context, we see this all the time. When a man comes in from another church or he's new to the area uh, and he has a lot of leadership skills, don't just put him in as an elder because he is, he appears to be a man that could really uh, do good things for the church or just because he's a good businessman. Don't just put him in because he can balance a budget or he knows how to hire and fire people, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Be very, very careful. And to your point, going back to verse 17, people can fall into into temptation, even if they don't intend to do that. But when you're given a lot of power, um, if the wrong person gets a lot of power, usually there are serious challenges that follow. Um, And I guess that gets down to verse 24. This is strange phraseology, but Paul says the sins of some men are obvious, which we know what we know what he's implying there. Um, But he says the sins of others trail behind them. That's, that's a peculiar way of describing something. What do you think he's talking about there? I would just say that the truth will out eventually. And, and really that's what that seems to be saying to me that there are some sins that are overt. People see it clearly. You, there's, you just can't mistake the actions of some, but others hide it well. And, and there will be a time where, um, those sinful actions will rear their ugly head and, and be evident. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it may be that you see the actions of one person in an overt open way, but another person may be very deceptive and, and able to conduct themselves in a way that seems right when their heart and their actions are not accurate. So, you know, if, even if, if we look at this, let's say from the embezzlement perspective, it may be that someone is really good at cooking the books. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but eventually that truth is going to be found. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've heard people say things like, well, yeah, he's a deacon, but he's kind of, he's a hothead, uh, flies off the handle, but as he gets older, that'll temper. Yeah. Uh, no, no. <laughs> if if he's a hothead at 45, he's going to be a hothead at 65. And he may try to um, suppress that so he can win the approval of the church to be an elder, but don't ever think that, that hothead nature is not going to come out either in a meeting or in dealing with the family. Like those sins are trailing right behind that individual. They do catch up. Um, and so you need to think through what you're doing, Timothy, because um, an eldership or a bad eldership can ruin a church faster than anything else. Yeah, that's right. Anything to add on that? 
you know, I mean, this is not directly to the point, but it's something that I that I thought about as I was looking at this text and and thinking about our conversation. Um, just the phrase "trail behind us." Um, I, I understand what what Paul is saying here with regard to uh, the sins of an individual. You know, revealing themselves at some point. But what about the fact that? Uh, our our sins impact the people around us, and not just the people around us, but even our families, our mm-hmm. children, and that sort of thing. And there is a sense of them trailing behind us in, in a in a time sense, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, that you know, oftentimes <clears throat> we see kids that are. Um, They're, they're, uh, they have their parents' sin thrust upon them and their reputation. Mm-hmm. Whether or not they're guilty uh, of the same actions or not, we see that playing out a lot of times. And so there is that element to it, too. And, and I don't think that's what Paul is saying here, but it just made me think about the, um, you know, the impact that our actions have on the people around us. Uh, and on our own reputation. And um, sadly, our world, you know, functions based on uh, perception and um, a lot of a lot of good people have been uh, very hurt and damaged by uh, a perception that was put out there that's just simply not the case. And mm-hmm. at the same time, a lot of good people have been hurt because of something that their family or their friends have done that impacted the way people perceived them. Yeah. As you were talking about that and you're an old Arkansas guy, so you can visualize this well, but you think about um, when tornadoes go through a community late at night and it's not till sunrise that you can actually see the extent of the devastation that the tornado caused. Um, and that's kind of how sin works, that in the heat of the moment, you know something's not right, you know something is wrong, you know something's destructive, but sometimes it takes a couple of years uh, before the sun comes up and you look out and you see how many people were hurt by that. Yep. And the destruction that that one choice by that one individual um, really did cause. And there's some sins that just cause years of destruction um, mm-hmm. that, and some things that are never able to be fully rebuilt. Uh, right. And so we have to be so careful um, who we allow, who we endorse to be our leaders in the church. Um, and that's really important for Timothy, a young preacher to remember. Right. Well, Keith, as always, thank you for your outstanding uh, perceptions and insights. Um, appreciate you and your your work. Now, you are on your way to being Doctor Harris. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, we're we're underway. Anyway, I'll you're, say that you're underway. How far into the pro- process are you? I am still at the very early stages. I have probably, if I was guessing, I'd say two and a half years left. So, 
That's if you learn to read and write uh, I have to, sooner rather than later. That's why that we have to do that first, and yeah. then we'll progress. Yeah. Okay. Well, one letter at a time. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for uh, your time today. To those who are listening, thank you for joining us for this conversation. As always, keep your eyes on heaven, and we look forward to talking with you next time. Okay.